0: This podcast is made possible by Radial Engineering, creators of audio solutions for recording studios and live stages, from direct boxes to unique switchers and reamp devices. For more information, visit www.radialeng.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. From the early days of touring with indie luminaries, the Polyphonic Spree and Sufjan Stevens, to releasing six albums as Saint Vincent and recently wrapping up production on a record for sleater Kenny, Annie Clark is much more than a modern-day guitar hero. Her left-of-center approach to Songcraft, joined with a unique sonic aesthetic, has made her a reckoning figure in contemporary music. Key and Riordan met Annie last year while engineering sleater Kenny's album The Center Won't Hold, Clark produced. The two of them have ended up forging a great producer-engineer rapport and have been working on numerous recording projects since then, mostly at Annie's home studio in Los Angeles. They joked about the creative mind meld they had developed from spending so much time working together, so it seemed like a natural fit for Kian to interview Annie for Tape Op. Enjoy!
1: Annie Clark. Kian Reardon. Oh, you're going going straight into it. Yeah. Tell us about how you got into recording. How I got
2: into recording music?
1: Yeah. Oh. It's your recording journey.
2: My recording journey. Um, My recording journey started in seventh or eighth grade with a Tascam cassette, four track. Um, And I just remember like... I feel like we were talking about it the other day where we're just like chasing that sound somehow because mm-hmm. it's just so nostalgic. Um, and then when I was... I, my, my stepdad was really into computers. My uncle is an amazing guitar player and really like a science engineer brain. Um, my stepdad talked to my uncle and they helped me build like a... Um, a PC based recording system in my bedroom. So I was like 15 and that was like, you had to have like massive A to D converters and like everything was weird and outboard and I was using Cakewalk Pro Audio. Amazing. Yeah. Um, And then I would just, you know, my friends in high school would just call me missing in action because instead of going to like whatever party or whatever like dirtbags house, to smoke weed, I was just like in my room with this recording setup, just like writing songs and trying to sing along to like practice like Billie Holiday riffs.
1: Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. you, you almost used the the r- recorder as like a an avenue to learn different kinds of music and to practice.
2: Yeah. And learn how to arrange, I think. Mm-hmm. But it was a little different because it, it was right at the beginning of that um, Kind of right at the beginning of, of, like, home studio kind of world, like mm-hmm. prosumer kind of thing. But before, like, oh, I got a Mac and it has GarageBand. Like, so... Um, there, were,
1: there, were a, there were a couple of extra steps involved.
2: There were a couple of extra steps involved. Uh, but it was different in that I, I played in some bands, too, but suddenly I could just kind of do it all myself. And so I think that I, I did more of that than, like, jamming with people in those days, which, you know, neither here nor there, but yeah, it was always kind of a more solitary yeah. confinement. What about you? Where, how'd you start?
1: Same, same thing, uh, playing in my garage, but mm-hmm. I was a drummer, so, you know, I, need, I, I relied on other people, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, same thing. I always had computers and just, you know, plugged it in, was curious and You know, I I never, the problem with me is I I never had the musical ability to just create something all on my own. You know, I could have ideas and stuff, but, you know, when I started meeting people in high school and college that would um, be able to finish songs, that was always just like this how do you do that? You yeah. know, like I can come up with some cool guitar thing or drum thing or play to someone else, but like the idea of starting and finishing a song was just so foreign to me. So I was I was always just like, cool, well, I'm going to do this with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
2: because you're, is it okay to say that your dad worked for Apple? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, you talked about he was always like bringing prototypes home and things like that. What, did you... Did you ever like experiment with any were there any early Apple recording software no. things? I mean it's
1: interesting because all of my when even though I had access to so much Apple equipment because of my dad working there, I had this like rebellious streak growing up where I would I would get like a Sony laptop that ran Windows. Oh
2: my god.
1: And that was like for some reason <laughs> because I I Apple was just I knew them and I could use them. There was something exciting about being on a pc and like downloading adobe audition or whatever whatever it was that i was using you know cakewalk or whatever and then so it was almost like the pc was just kind of this weird right brain
2: Uh thing
1: that was just interesting to me and then i I did all my real work on a mac which is totally so funny totally
2: what a nerdy rebellion (laughs) too. i mean i remember like using Windows 98 and just feeling like it was punishment I just you know I mean once I kind of like went over to the very user-friendly yeah. not in, not for engineers kind totally. of Mac world yeah I think, yeah
1: I think my I always looked for the hard way in kind of you know what is what is the most technical way because that was always just kind of that scratched my itch and and it's only in I'd say the past decade have I really been like Kind of coming at it to the other end, you know I've always come to music from like a technical bent mm. um, and some people come at it you know from a creative bent, and the, the technical element is just something that just kind of enables them to make records or whatever mm-hmm. and so how does how do those early days of kind of tinkering on your PC parlay into St Vincent?
2: Um, well, I think I mean then I remember going to college still having a PC. And um, I I got a...
1: And this is Berkeley?
2: This is Berkeley. um, Judge me. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't possibly judge me harder (laughs) than I judge myself. Um, But I got a Yamaha 16 track, like digital recording unit. Mm -hmm. It was big and heavy. And I remember being so impressed because it had motorized faders.
1: Yeah, like, that's a big step.
2: Fuck yeah! Check out this, you know, fader
1: recall. Um, great for showing off.
2: Great for showing off. I, the interface was, I, it was all all in that particular mm-hmm. like hardware box. It wasn't, I don't think, particularly compatible with software. And also, software hadn't. I remember there was like Cubase and stuff like that, but Apple ha- still hadn't come out with like GarageBand and Logic and mm-hmm. that. So I used that to make a lot of recordings in college. When I think back to the Tascam 4 track, I feel like a warmth and a vibe. And when I think back to the recordings that I did on the Yamaha, I don't think of them as vibey, but maybe that's the kind of stuff I was kind of writing at the time. Yeah. Um, Do
1: you think the simplicity of the the kind of earlier days and just kind of the, the not knowing
2: yeah, I mean, it's it's possible that there's just like so much nostalgia wrapped up in mm-hmm. those first days of like hearing yourself recorded back and going like, oh my God, I'm yeah. making the thing that I love, you know. And then after, after the Yamaha, I got a Mac, I remember um, getting so excited. Well, I got a Mac and got Pro Tools.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, straight into the deep end.
2: Yeah, I got a Mac and got Pro Tools, but it was like Pro Tools LE with the first inbox, Mm -hmm. and I recorded a lot of my first album on that inbox. Very cool. And I did the the classic like buy a pre from Guitar Center, Mm -hmm. record, return it. Oh, nice! Like Guitar Center paid for most
1: of, <laughs> of the year. I'm sure, um, every every budding engineer yeah. and producer has that has that story.
2: Totally, um, and yeah, just did oddly enough, like did a lot of my first album recordings in my childhood bedroom with an inbox, like the same place I had kind of started.
1: Yeah, and even when you went, so obviously, you kind of evolved to working with other engineers and producers. Mm-hmm. Did uh, did you recording and you kind of doing stuff? in solitude still factor into that process or was there kind of a, a yeah. real shift between kind of the earlier stuff and, and where it is now?
2: There's still a level of comfort that is I think kind of unparalleled with being able to write alone. There's, it's really vulnerable to try to come up with ideas because you know, you're like diamond mining you know, mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable to have someone be in the room watching you not, not hit the mark, you know? Um, so, I mean, as far as writing goes, I think that's still a really solitary process, but, um, it was always kind of just like a, a file became a file, uh, exchange, you know, like I would kind of start an idea and then bring it in and either we'd start from scratch or we might use some things that I recorded by myself. Um, a real, uh, mixed bag still you know
1: so you never really had that you know I find there's a common urge now with with artists where just because it was recorded at home or on an iPhone or it's not legitimate right people are kind of very precious about everything has to be recorded and has to be better where you know it seems like sometimes there's a magic that you're kind of still using
2: it's true I mean and sometimes you know like sometimes the demo vocal that you record into a what I don't know into an inbox with a 58 like is is magic and you just kind of like I don't know I just kind of go back to Charlie Parker with like if it sounds good it is good yeah and it it might um, bum out some audio files but like does it speak to the heart does it move people is it evocative great then we're good
1: yeah you know arguably more important
2: yeah it's it's a lot of hand wringing
1: yeah. Yeah. And so, fast forward, the evolution of St. Vincent record making records alone to making records with other people. Now you're making records for other people. What? How does that transition feel? I mean, so you just did a record with Slater Kinney. Yeah, which you a,
2: engineered, yes, crushed um, it as a thank you. <laughs>
1: um, but as a producer, so now now you're on the other side of the glass, and you know how how do you find that? Um, Your experience and your process recording music, how do you kind of parlay that into making records with other people?
2: Mm, Well, I would say that probably the most helpful thing about my experience being an artist in studios and in the recording process is that I know how vulnerable it is to sing. I know how vulnerable it is to try ideas. Um, And I know the ways that, like, I... have enjoyed being related to by producers or co-producers or whatever and I know the ways that I haven't enjoyed being related to so I'm able to kind of bring bring that to the process and go, you know and be really supportive you know and not shame anybody (laughs) I mean like (laughs) not shame anybody for you know missing the mark that's the point we're in here to like try and play and have fun and Mm-hmm. And also, I don't think there's any wasted effort. Like, it's like, let, let's just go down this rabbit hole and see what happens. And the worst case scenario, best case scenario is we, like, break on through to the other side and there's something really exciting. Worst case scenario is we go back and realize the first thing we had is great. Mm-hmm. And we didn't beat it.
1: Yeah. Do you find yourself ever having to kind of withhold certain ideas or whatever I mean how do you toe the line between artist and producer because when you go into a project say Slater-Kinney you know obviously they're a band they're writing their songs you know but you clearly have musical ideas like how how does that com- communication happen between
2: you know, how did it happen I mean you know we were all in the room together
1: yeah. how, I don't know I, I mean I, I got to witness it but for me it was just like a, a stream of creativity from a group of people you know Mm -hmm. you and the band but was there any thought put into uh on your end in terms of like how i'm going to approach it or do you just kind of go in saying i'm just going to make music with my friends and what happens what happens what happens
2: well i mean we first well so you met carrie doing music yeah for a tv show for a tv show Mm -hmm. and then um she said I met this great engineer. I'd love to use him on the later Kenny stuff. So I was like, "Great." So we we met on that mm-hmm. and like um it obviously is, it takes time to kind of develop a rapport and kind of figure out what where the other person's coming from and what they're they're thinking, but I think we just like got into a rhythm, which was great. And you got great sounds and so it wasn't there wasn't any um there wasn't like any creative uh like gulf to like traverse between us I thought like, mm-hmm. like oh okay great we got great sounds yeah, you know yeah. um so that was really helpful um I think too uh I if I'm honest and a good friend of mine has said this to me. She's like, you are the most underprepared, overachieving person I've ever met. <laughs> Which is I did I did I give any thought as to mm-hmm. like how we were gonna do the Slater Kenny record? No. But I was like okay, but it's it's on the calendar, it's this day, it's this time. And you just fucking show up ready to work and see what happens.
1: <laughs> really. Yeah, my, my dad has a saying, and it's from my younger brother. And, and he's, uh, not that he doesn't prepare put in work, but he's, he says that uh, Sean can uh, fall into shit and come up smelling like roses.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great skill. Yeah. Charming guy, your brother. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, um, and so coming out of this later at Kinney Records, like, do you, do you feel... Um, I mean, obviously, we're working together, we're, doing, we're mm-hmm. working on your stuff, but did you feel any sort of urge to kind of, oh, I want to make records with more people, I want to kind of, you know, scratch this itch, or is it like, ooh, I need to, I need to go back and kind of... Well,
2: I learned a lot working with Slater Kinney, and, and, I, and I think, I mean, some of the most special moments were, were the more like fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants moment, like the last song on the record, which is a piano ballad that Carrie wrote on piano, Corn was staying with her while they were, you know, in Los Angeles recording, and Corn came up with the melody and the lyrics in one morning before they walked into the studio. And it was like, you know, if anybody had said there's going to be a piano ballad on the Slater Kinney record, <laughs> probably you wouldn't believe it, but like that's what their what that's where their instinct and their heart was telling them to go. And I just remember it was like kinda of late at night, we made the studio Vibe and they recorded it live when mm-hmm. just a couple passes. And it was just like it's heartbreaking, you know, or argue with that.
1: It's Absolutely. gorgeous. Yeah. It stands on its own two feet for sure. So let's talk about your your home. I mean, you've you've evolved quite quite a ways from a college dorm room here. Yeah. So we're we're sitting at your house in Los Angeles and I mean it's it's interesting because it's a house you live yeah, here. Yeah, it's a
2: studio. But I it's mean, a studio where I sometimes sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a grand piano where a, a dining room table would normally yeah. be, and there's a drum set where your guests would normally sleep, and the garage is fully converted. You want to mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit, kind of how you came into this place? And-
2: yeah, I mean, it's a it's a spot that actually a musician had owned before, and so part of it was already retrofitted to be you know, again, where, an, where a guest would sleep, uh, was already wired to be um, a live room. And, and it was really, it was cool, actually. I hadn't met, but it turned out the, the owners were fans. So I like got the house.
1: Oh, yeah, nice. They knew, you know,
2: he like saw me at Coachella once or something. Okay. So that was cool. Competitive
1: um, LA housing market. I know. <laughs> you need all the help you can get. I know, exactly,
2: exactly. <laughs> I didn't have, even have to submit a form a, a form letter where you beg don't people kind of have to do that um, if there's like multiple bids for sure you yeah have to people like, write
1: letters Listen, you just need a Coachella set da-
2: yeah <laughs> I knew it was going to pay off somehow yeah um, yeah and so it's already kind of retrofitted to, to be a studio um, and it's just been a process I think of getting really this I just got a console and that is just like the vibiest part.
1: And yeah, it's so exciting. Yeah, and so you just bought a basically a souped-up, refurbished uh, version of an old '60s op amp console. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you just installed that last week.
2: Yeah, we we've been here all yeah the past few days, just like
1: yeah. putting it
2: through the paces and recording great drum sounds and.
1: Yeah, you know? it's almost like the final piece of the puzzle here. Yeah, would you say this was more of just like you just had instruments and it was just more for writing? And it
2: was more of a project studio. I did do a lot of I did do a lot of recording for Mass Seduction um, in it, but not not using the live room really. It would be um, you know cut a lot of main vocals here. I want to say and um, wrote a lot and did kind of ancillary stuff, some guitars, but
1: yeah. What do you think of the waking up and then being at the studio, and then working all day, and then literally walking to your bed? What's that like?
2: Yeah. That is um, really wonderful for short stretches. Um, I think if it goes past, say, a week-ish, or more than a week, then it's time to like get the fuck out and go to a different place and luckily like I still live in Texas sometimes and I can um, scoot off to New York or you know just get the fuck out because there's I'm I've learned the, the benefit I think of and you can speak to this too of like going I am working these days I'm working this is what I'm doing and then like these couple days i am not working because if i don't specifically say i'm not working i'll just work all the time 100 percent. and then you don't have things to bring into the work
1: yeah and i've noticed too that you're very you're very kind of efficient with your time you don't like you tend not to dawdle in the studio where you come in it's like you start at 11 or noon and it's like you go till seven or eight and it's not a 14 or a 16 hour day but like it's a it's a very focused Eight to whatever hours, you know, is yeah, that is that intentional on your part, or is that just kind of how you're I don't know if it's intentional.
2: Wired? I think it's how I'm wired. Yeah, because I just feel like, well, I mean, we can talk more about this later. Kenny record. I mm-hmm. think we did. We were very efficient with with that. I mean, we had to kind of. They. I feel like we hit the right balance of them getting to explore and experiment, and mm-hmm. also like, we we got shit done.
1: Yeah, and I think the interesting thing that um you might want to touch on on this going back to the Slater Kinney record is the 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 pre-production and the writing and the production process were almost kind it's of all, all done the in same. real
2: time. It really was. Yeah. Yeah, because the band had a number of demos. Um and some of the demos were just uh weren't like full band demos. I think most of them weren't full band demos. It was kind of Carrie writing songs and Corinne writing songs and um, I think they jammed a couple of them if I recall, yeah. but, um,
1: yeah, most of them were just kind of like garage band, little, to- little totally demos. Yeah.
2: garage band demos and, um, and of course everybody had an opportunity and say, uh, you know, it's a totally democratic process and everybody had say on like the material and, oh, we should, I think we should do this or that or whatever, you know, best idea wins always. Or ideally. (laughs) Uh, The best idea gets buried under levels of insecurity. Um, How it, I guess, originally started was they were going to work with a few producers and just test things out because they wanted to do something different. Um, And we booked some time at 64 Sound Mm -hmm. in Highland Park.
1: Yeah, just a place.
2: Um, And we were just going to, like, tackle three songs so what I'm and we did
1: we did hurry on home hurry on home the dog and Stain vision
2: yes that's right hurry on home the dog
1: yeah Stain vision. those were mostly completed there I yeah think, for the most part i think you know we chipped away at different studios
2: we i think we replaced the drums on the dog body got it right
1: janet replaced the janet yeah, yeah yeah
2: sorry janet <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jan replaced the drums on Dog Body at Barefoot. Uh-huh. I think. Oh no, it wasn't Barefoot.
1: Yeah, it would have been Barefoot or um,
2: the place by the Murder the bu- Museum.
1: <laughs> Boulevard. Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Boulevard recording. The
2: place where uh, he did. Um,
1: I think the, the wall. wall. Yeah, the yeah, wall was recorded. Wall.
2: Um, yeah, so it really was like yeah. kind of ground up, Reno of of. Yeah. That stuff, because the ideas were strong. The melodies are strong, you know, cool riffs always. Um, So it was just like, okay, how do we how do we frame this?
1: Yeah, I think one one thing that I really enjoyed about the process and that was mostly new for me, you know, in making records is, you know, I learned very quickly that um, when we're recording something, nothing's done in vain. And so it's like there's never like, oh, it's just going to be a scratch thing or we're just going to try this idea because there was very few instances where we went back and retried a guitar part or a synth part. It was always like, okay if this works, this is it. And so as an engineer, that was a bit not stressful, but like it's a different way of thinking because like. (laughs) You know, when someone's like, hey, I want to try this. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to plug it in and it's it's going to be fine. It's like, oh, this, this might make the record. This might so make
2: the record. This Everything. needs to sound <laughs> yeah. good,
1: you know? So I enjoyed that because um, it just kind of kept everyone on their toes, you know?
2: Good, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have no patience, which is your really sweet way of framing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we joked in the studio. It was like, why aren't you... Why aren't you reading my mind and doing it perfect the first time? yeah <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah, not, yeah, that's never been my strong suit patience but um but you I mean, yeah, you were yeah, got great stuff and did it really fast, yeah, I mean
1: well, I think it, it helps too when it's like everybody's paying attention, you mm-hmm. know and and there's a lot of records that get made these days where it's just a sea of people on a couch and laptops and on their phones and. You know, just kind of like, oh, cool, you're going to go do something where, you know, with this record, it really was like when something was happening, everyone was engaged, everyone was paying attention. Yeah. If there was a keyboard part getting laid down or a guitar part, like one person was playing it, two people were turning knobs and like. Totally. You know, it was very involved on everybody's part.
2: And and I really liked to the um, there was a lot of great input. You know, when Carrie or Corin were doing vocal takes, we were all in there listening and Carrie or Quar- whoever wasn't doing the vocal take had really strong you know, reactions and like, yes, that was the one. You know, and, and I mean, that's the thing too, is you see it with um, just just anything where it is tr- a live performance. You just know when it's the one. I mean, maybe that takes a long time to cultivate, but you just know. You know, it's, okay, the ghost walked through the room. That's the one. Great. We got it. It also
1: takes years of experience to be comfortable with making that decision. Yeah. I think you've made enough records to know, to be comfortable saying, like, this is done. I'm ready to move on. Mm -hmm. I think some people are are always just kind of crippled by this anxiety or doubt. Like, you know, and it can go on forever.
2: Indecision becomes your decision. Yeah. I've, I've seen that. I think I've seen... Cautionary tales.
1: Yeah. firsthand. Yeah. For
2: sure. Yeah. I've seen that and I, it, um, I think it probably just comes down to not having the patience.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just
2: like, no, I, I want to decide this thing. And then I don't have to make that decision again. I can make other decisions, yeah. you know? But yeah. Was...
1: Did you ever encounter pushback to that from people you worked with? Or is this something that you just kind of, that was just the workflow and that's how, how it was?
2: I don't know. I mean, I've always made records like, you know, if I was doing stuff with John Congleton or, you know, Jack Antonoff in this last one, or it's just like, I mean, not to be so like blue collar about it, but it's like time is money. We're in the studio. We're here to work. This is, this is, we're here to work. And this is what we we're doing. And, I mean, somebody like John is super efficient and fast and has a North Star and same with Jack, super fast. Obviously, you're an engineer, great, fast, and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't. There hasn't been a whole lot of pushback. I don't think.
1: Yeah. No. And then what's next?
2: Generating material.
1: Generating material <laughs> for for some use in the future. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, there is one thing I was thinking about today. Part of the indecision, decision world, and the chasing the tail um, is just like if you're tweaking so hard about like going so far down the rabbit hole with the sound and not getting there. It's very possible that the problem is with the song. You know?
1: Yeah, and it's an arrangement issue.
2: It's an arrangement issue. It's a lyrical issue. It's, you know, and so that that to me and I think like this later Kinney record and in, in, in the process of doing that like my main thing was just the songs like let's make sure that these songs are really solid because they have you know they're a band with so much energy and so much um just excitement and anger and just kinetic you know um that it's this funny thing where like you know Corn could sing anything and it would sound fucking awesome mm mm-hmm. You know, and it sound totally just like powerful, and that's such a gift. So let's just make sure that we're also like not slacking in any way, shape or form on the songcraft side of it mm-hmm. so that it the voice can shine even yeah more
1: and I think the process too of kind of always always being open to you know, new production, new ideas, new melodies, like even till right before mixing time. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it really enables that because you're not working from some demo that everyone's just kind of stuck with and and it's like, okay, we're going to go re-record the drums. We're going to, you know, it really is this like, you know, some cases we would do drums last, you know, because, you know, the songs we get would just be taking shape, you know? Yeah. Um, And that's a strange process, but when you look back at, you know, how you were interacting with the band and how they were kind of coming up with, with ideas and I think how they were really experimenting with new toys. I don't know if you mm-hmm. wanna talk about that. I mean Slater Kinney are, you know, a, a rock trio yeah. to guitars and drums and this record is a lot more than that.
2: It has, yeah. I mean there are there are some dirty, dirty synthesizers on it. <laughs> and I mean one thing you hipped me to was that uh, ream organ, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of that really subby. Because I mean, Slater-Kinney, the cool thing about them is that it's two guitars and and nothing really fills out that low end. So there were a couple instances though where like, yeah, we want we want a little bit of low end, but we want it to just, you, we just want you to feel it exactly. and not um, have it not be like a featured moment, just like.
1: Yeah, not have personality, it's not just have doing personality. a job. It's just,
2: Totally utilitarian. Um, so that ream was so helpful with that. And and again, that's you know from the '60s. It's not like a modern yeah sound. It's not like cool. We put a bunch of 808s on a slater Kenny record. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the beginning. Doo, 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 doo,
1: the um, the synth or the 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 little guy. The no. Electronic? I'm
2: thinking of there. We use the ream on the opening of future. Oh, yeah. yeah. so that was really cool, like kind yeah. of the, the kind of. knockoff Farfisa. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, and then the bass sound, this was one of the first things we did, is you, you at 64 Sound, when we were looking to track something, the, the band kept saying words like corroded, corrosive, you know, um, and a couple times I had to, like, pull Carrie back from... I was like, no, no, this is a really beautiful moment. <laughs> like, this is a beautiful moment. Just let yeah. there be beauty for half a second without give, it being like corroded. Give the
1: listeners a break. Yeah,
2: like, no, not, yes, yeah. agree with you. Yes, corroded 100%. Not here. Just yeah. not here for a second. Um, I'm we have that kind of relationship where I can just t- tell her anything. But um, you pulled out that uh, electroharmonics microsense. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, which is that sound on. Um,
1: on Stained Vision. Stained Vision. Yeah
2: which is just so gross. And one of my favorite moments on the record is that in, I think, the second verse, it breaks up. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, magic.
1: This little synth was just in disrepair. And I think we we even stumbled across like for uh, The Center Won't Hold, I think, you know, some of those programmy drum sounds that we got were like us misusing it, like switching it on and off Mm -hmm. through whatever effects chain or whatever and then kind of getting inspired by that. I mean that's essentially how that whole pattern got built up. Yeah. It's just like
2: having taking you know, having Coroner carrie like unplug or plug in her guitar. Yeah. You know, getting that the sound of the jack sick. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. I mean that's that was the a oh, fun thing about um Center too is how much i mean that was like a marxophone and we muted a marxophone yeah and it just in an happened, echo chamber in an echo chamber <laughs> and it just happened to be the exact tempo
1: yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> it's yeah. like okay heavy handed sound yeah yeah
2: yeah so a lot of that stuff was just so just so fun
1: yeah you
2: know, i i when i think back to like making that record it was just fun every day.
1: Yeah, it's fun it's good when the process of recording and quote unquote engineering and whatever is inspirational to the actual creative process and not the other way around. Cuz mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like it can get in the way, you know.
2: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who really fetishize pain and struggle um in the process and kind of think it's not anything if it's not you know
1: yeah if you have blood r- sweat and tears yeah, all that
2: stuff yeah like um which maybe maybe just if i'm thinking about producing um i mean writing is painful <laughs> writing writing is just, just a, is a rending process i i get that but you know it we should just feel like free to explore and chase and but also fucking get shit done because time is money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, you know, never like I didn't like never made records with like squillion dollar advances. You know, it was like yeah. I've got these days, and we're, yeah, we're gonna
1: yeah. The, the money runs shit. out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Fair. Well, that's probably a good note to end it yeah. on. Yeah. All right.
0: Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. Girls in cages playing their guitars, but how can I leave? I as far?